tonight, COVID travel testing. And it's time. Terminated. The federal government announces an end. Oh, I think that is amazing. To a costly, cumbersome requirement at the border. Plus, just when going out for dinner was fun again. Everything is up. <laughs> nothing, nothing is down. Why that meal may leave a bitter taste in your mouth. We were just happy we found them. How members of the Stahelis First Nation quite likely saved the lives of a woman and her young son. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening. Thanks for joining us. It's the news travelers and the tourism industry have been waiting for. Tomorrow, it's expected the federal government will announce it's scrapping pre-travel COVID-19 testing requirements. It comes on the heels of most provinces dropping health restrictions. And as Catherine Urquhart reports, the decision is expected to boost economies on both sides of the border. At YVR, travelers are hearing the news. Multiple sources are indicating that Canada is poised to remove pre-arrival COVID testing for vaccinated travellers entering the country. Oh, I think that is amazing. I mean, it's really hard sometimes going to uh, different testing centres. I think it's a good thing as long as people are staying responsible and uh, following their symptoms. The Canadian government isn't confirming the development, but a press conference has been called for Thursday morning. It's expected to include land and air crossings and take effect April 1st. It's time. And I think what we've learned from COVID is that the tools that we needed six months ago are not the tools we need six months from now. The regulation change is expected to help BC's tourism sector and result in many of us booking long-planned vacations. The number one thing people want to do post-pandemic is actually travel. This will now allow them to do that with out the worry that if they test positive while they're at destination, that they don't have to stay for 10 days before they can come home. The Frontier Duty Free Association told Global News, this could not be more welcome news, and we are grateful to the federal government for hearing our plea and having our back as we continue to struggle to recover. Also keen to see restrictions removed, border towns like Bellingham. Downtown Bellingham would love to welcome Canadian visitors that want to just eat out downtown. It might be to go shopping, right? It might be to hit one of the value stores, one of the large box stores. It's still unclear if the ArriveCan app will continue to be required. So far, the United States isn't saying when it will remove pre-arrival COVID testing for air travelers. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. As for the latest COVID-19 numbers, we have 329 people in hospital. 51 of those patients are in intensive care. Eight more deaths have been recorded due to complications of the virus. And we have 235 new confirmed cases in B.C. Keith Baldry joins us now to talk about the increase in cases we're seeing around the, around the world. Now, Keith, how mm-hmm. closely are health officials watching this and, and should we be concerned? Yeah, they're watching very closely. I talked to top health officials this afternoon. They're keeping a close eye on what's suddenly developing around the world. World Health Organization today issuing a warning to countries to step up their vigilance because we're seeing a significant increase in COVID cases at a time when we had been dropping since the new year. Here's the numbers right now. We got an 8% increase in one week. That's 11 million more cases than the previous week. China, Hong Kong, South Korea have the biggest increases by far, about 25%. But the United Kingdom, Germany, Austria, and other Europe 
European countries are seeing smaller increases and noticeable ones. How does BC fare? We're in a better position than a lot of other jurisdictions, chiefly because we have a high rate of vaccination amongst older people over the age of 70, and those are the people who are getting sick right now and dying in other countries. We also have uh, the milder cases of Omicron have helped establish higher immunity in our communities, but this is the worst case scenario, and a likely scenario. A fourth dose is likely going to be required at some point for the older population if this wave does continue to go through the world. Don't know the timing of that. Talk to health officials today. They're trying to find the sweet spot. What is the best time to administer a fourth booster dose uh, to people over the age of 70? Probably sometime in the fall or winter. But again, they're keeping a close eye on places like Hong Kong right now in the United Kingdom, where the cases are up significantly in Hong Kong, but are noticeably up in the United Kingdom as well. All right, Keith, thanks for that. The cost of doing business is proving to be too high for some. After holding steady through the pandemic, a North Vancouver restaurant says it has no choice but to raise its prices by 15% this year. While food costs are a huge part of it, labor and gas prices are also contributing factors. Imadagahi explains. The capacity limits, the plexiglass dividers, they're all gone. Soon the vaccine card will be too, but just as small business felt it was turning the corner. It is dealing with another pandemic side effect, red hot inflation. Everything is up. Nothing, nothing is down. We didn't have any price increases throughout the pandemic um, for obvious reasons. Um, and things continued to climb drastically. The rising cost of gas food and wages, forcing the owners of the popular Lyft Breakfast Bakery in Lower Lonsdale to increase prices on their menu up to 15% this week. Essentially, we're going grocery shopping for these people every day, preparing food, paying our staff, um, paying our, all our utility bills. So they understand, most of them, that like it's it makes sense that our prices are going up. BC's Consumer Price Index report shows the cost of food in this province is up 5% year over year. Nationally, Stats Canada says the February inflation hike of 5.7% year-over-year is the largest increase we've seen since 1991. We have definitely an inflation problem all over Canada and British Columbia is no different. Businesses can hang on for a while and suffer an increase in costs if they think it's just a temporary spike. The problem is that this is a persistent increase in costs. Experts say inflation forces are digging in, blaming international conflicts' role in high oil prices and locally skyrocketing housing and rental markets. Back at Lyft, the owners are confident the community supporting them understands the new menu and appreciates the heads up. It is actually one of our core values is, is to be, you know, as transparent to the public as possible. Imadagahi, Global News. With most COVID-19 restrictions lifted, tomorrow is shaping up to be the most normal St. Patrick's Day in two years. <laughs> Bars and restaurants in Vancouver are preparing for pre-pandemic-sized crowds like this one. With capacity limits dropped and mingling allowed again, the industry is expecting establishments to be jam-packed. Vancouver police are also bracing for large crowds and have a message for partygoers. We do want people to um, go about their partying responsibly. We will have extra officers deployed along the Granville Entertainment District, as well as in our Gastown Entertainment District. If you uh, do plan on drinking, to plan a, a safe ride home, whether it be a taxi or a rideshare. 
A shooting in Surrey overnight sent a teenager to hospital. Just after 3 o'clock, RCMP responded to a shots-fired call in the 100-1200 block of Lansdowne Drive. Surrey RCMP say the 17-year-old victim is known to police, but the shooting does not appear to be gang-related. The victim has since been released from hospital. An area resident says it's usually a quiet neighborhood. RCMP are asking for your help to crack a cold case. This week marks 32 years since a retired teacher was killed in her house sound home. Mounties say 73-year-old Kathleen Vaden Kermode, also known as Kay, was stabbed to death in the early hours of March 18, 1990, after a suspect broke into her Sunset Beach house by climbing a ladder to her deck and entering through the sliding glass doors. The suspect then stole her 1982 green Volkswagen Jetta and abandoned it nearby. Investigators have yet to determine a motive in her murder and are now asking for the public's help in identifying the person responsible. Police have investigated several tips over the years, but they've all come up empty. It is a beloved and well-used facility in Vancouver's West End, a neighborhood fixture since 1974, but that fixture now needs fixing. Last night, staff at the Vancouver Aquatic Center discovered this, part of the building's roof gone. What caused the damage and why some say this was predicted a long time ago in just over a minute. The relaxing attraction one company wants to moor in Victoria's Inner Harbour. And the wild encounter this boy had on a zip line in Costa Rica. Those stories later on the News Hour. The Vancouver Aquatic Centre had to be closed today after part of the building collapsed. An assessment is underway, but as Nitu Garcha reports, there have long been calls for the building to be torn down over safety concerns. Forcing it to be closed and cordoned off with caution tape, a concrete section of the Vancouver Aquatic Centre came crashing to the ground. It's a uh, failure in the um, concrete fascia structure on the on the uh, west side of the front entrance of our of the aquatic centre. The city's manager of recreation services says it happened around 9:30 p.m. Tuesday. There will be a structural assessment. Uh, we met with trades this morning, and uh, they'll need to undertake that before we determine what we do with it and whether it's worth repairing or whether it needs to come down and be. I really depend on it, so for health and fitness. Well, I would like to see it either fixed or replaced, but I don't want it to disappear. I'm surprised to see that it, that it rotted out. Since 1974, it has been the home of several swim meets and public swims. And up until recently, people who, under COVID-19 rules, booked time at the centre were lining up in the same spot outside the entrance where the chunks of concrete fell off. Luckily, no one was hurt. This just highlights that uh, we can't just keep on doing what we're doing. We have to look at the future and make sure that we are taking care of uh, structures that Vancouver needs and wants so much. The building in the city's west end has long been up for renewal. It's a $40 million renovation uh, to, to rebuild that facility, and it is, is in dire need of that. That was in 2014. Five years later, the Vancouver Aquatic Strategy considers replacing it with a new large-scale pool with outdoor aquatic amenities because it's almost reached the end of its functional lifespan and does not meet current seismic requirements. But when asked about a timeline, 
as soon as we can. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's on the uh, it's, it's on the plan at the moment. The costs, risks, and extensive repair work required forced the permanent closure of the Canada Games Pool in New Westminster this year. And now this dangerous concrete drop at the Vancouver Aquatic Centre could mark the end of an era for another treasured Metro Vancouver swimming space. Neetu Garcha, Global News. Another desperate plea for help. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. Volodymyr Zelensky's address to the U.S. Congress as Russian forces target more civilians in Ukraine. And later, an ill-fated mother-son adventure saved by a local First Nation. Stay with us. Good afternoon. Emergency crews are on the scene to a two-car crash here in Delta, southbound on Highway 99, just a little bit before Ladner Trunk Road in the left lane. Traffic is heavily backed up from Highway 17 on the approach. Get best-in-class protection and savings with BCAA Insurance. Learn more at bcaa.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above Highway 99 in Delta. Children cannot learn when they are hungry. Food insecurity also affects their mental health. That's why Global News and the Grocery Foundation are partnering for Toonies for Tummies and nourishing children in countless communities. Donate today to Toonies for Tummies in-store or online. A warning, the images in this story are disturbing. Today, speaking to the U.S. Congress, Ukraine's president appealed directly to Joe Biden to do more as the U.S. announced a massive shipment of arms and other military aid for the beleaguered country. As you're about to see, that aid can't come soon enough as Russian forces continue to take aim at anyone in their sights. Aaron MacArthur reports. The targets are civilians. Ten people dead in Chernihiv, according to Ukrainian state TV, killed while waiting in line for something to eat. Apartment blocks under constant shelling in Kyiv and in Mariupol. Civilians have been targeted trying to flee the besieged city. A theater where more than a thousand people were taking shelter is now, according to social media reports, a pile of rubble. There are no accurate estimates of casualties. Wednesday, Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky upped his pressure on Western nations in an address to the U.S. Congress, reiterating his pleas for a no-fly zone over Ukraine. The President Biden, you are the leader of the nation, of your great nation. I wish you to be the leader of the world. Being the leader of the world means to be the leader of peace. The U.S. standing firm with other NATO allies, not wanting to get involved in active combat, but at the same time offering military support. President Biden offering up to a billion dollars in lethal hardware. And at the request of President Zelensky, we have identified and are helping Ukraine acquire additional longer-range anti-aircraft systems and the munitions for those systems. Negotiators for Ukraine and Russia continue to meet. According to officials, some progress has been made. Little consolation for the millions of refugees forced from their homes and the mounting death toll inside Ukraine's largest cities. Aaron MacArthur, Global News.
Ukraine has put out the call for help. And while much of the focus has been on weapons and fuel to fight Russia, they also need more medical personnel to treat the growing number of wounded. So now a group of doctors at McGill University is producing videos that simplify complex medical procedures, such as how to insert a breathing tube. The videos are being translated into Ukrainian and uploaded to YouTube. While Ukraine has capable surgeons, there simply aren't enough of them to cover the country's wartime needs. These are sort of just-in-time refresher trainings for the personnel who would not necessarily be doing this type of work on an ongoing regular basis, sort of really just to re-up their skill sets and make sure they're comfortable as much as possible doing what they need to do. The Canadian doctor is raising money through the nonprofit group Glia to make tourniquets, which are essential in treating battlefield wounds. Dr. Tarek Lubani says they'll fabricate them wherever they can if they can get supplies and 3D printers. And while it may prove difficult, the ideal spot would be in Ukraine itself. The idea is that we're open sourcing everything. We're not claiming any ownership. In fact, we want other people to make it. We just want to make sure that they make it safely and they make it in a way so that it's saving lives everywhere. As the war in Ukraine rages on, people around the world are trying to lend their support as best they can. That includes in the Okanagan, where Kelowna City Council has now received a special request from the mayor of one Ukrainian city. Claudia Van Emmerich explains. We also send volunteers uh, to Ukraine. As the president of the newly formed group, Kalona Stands with Ukraine, speaks to a Ukrainian city mayor, the reality of war hits hard. You want to say something? Uh, hey, raid warning. I have to escape to, to bomb shelter. We wait for Alexander Trechyak to make his way down to the bomb shelter, where he continues the Zoom call. The two men discussing the idea of Kalona and the city of Rivne becoming sister cities. It's kind of taking them under our umbrella. Rivne is located in northwestern Ukraine, close to the border with Belarus. On Tuesday, a television tower was bombed outside of the city. 21 Ukrainian troops died. Any minute, Putin can break our borders and can send his troops on our region. After seeing all the support from Kelowna residents on social media, the mayor of Rivne reached out for more help. That got the president of Kelowna Stands with Ukraine taking that request for help one step further, making an official request here at City of Kelowna for Rivne to become our sister city. It's much better to focus and be in the right connection because our idea is not just sending like some truckloads of humanitarian aid, whether it's used or not, maybe half of that will be thrown away. But work on the specific uh, things that they need, specific connection, that's, that's what we try to do. The request will be before City Council this coming Monday. City Councilor Mohini Singh says establishing a sister city relationship with Rivne is absolutely worth exploring. We've been very generous to communities in the past. I can see if there's need there. I can see us fundraising to help communities, help schools, help colleges, help hospitals, so on and so forth, to help that community get back on its feet. In the meantime, as Russia continues its brutal and unprovoked attack on Ukraine, the mayor of our potentially future sister city is making an impassioned plea for help to send any humanitarian aid that we can. Long-term food uh, boxes with medicine, with uh, with uh, individual first aid kits for our soldiers. 
I would be very grateful for you. I would be very appreciated for you. He also asked Global News to keep reporting on the atrocities in Ukraine and encouraging all residents to fly Ukrainian flags as a symbol of solidarity. Claudia Van Emmer, Global News, Kelowna. An 11-year-old Abbotsford girl is selling handmade items during this spring break to raise money for Ukrainian refugees. Haley Townsend is hard at work making blue and yellow bracelets, one of several pieces she's selling just outside her family home. Haley says she and her friend used to sell lemonade when they were a little younger. So when she heard about the war in Ukraine, Haley decided to do something similar, but instead by selling bracelets, paintings and bookmarks. My original goal was around $50, but then I started raising a lot more than expected. And then now I'm trying to raise $2,000. Well, in four days, she's raised more than $1,000. Haley will be selling those items by donation for the next few days. BC Hydro marks a major milestone on the Site C transmission line. That story next, plus. None of this matters. If our children can't drink the water, they can't breathe the air, they can't go outside, the world burns around them. Actor-activist Mark Ruffalo joins Wet'suwet'en hereditary chiefs demanding banks and fossil fuel financing. And some disturbing news about the prevalence of long COVID in kids as the news hour continues. Traffic is steady in both directions tonight here at the Alex Fraser Bridge. Do keep in mind, though, that they are doing some overnight joint repairs from 9 p.m. to 4 a.m., and that's going to affect southbound traffic. Through Kermac Cares for Kids, expert repair for your vehicle helps provide expert care for kids. When you choose Kermac, you choose to support BC Children's Hospital. Kermac Cares for Kids. I'm sure she was in Global One at the Alex Fraser Bridge. What's well, and hereditary chief's opposition to the coastal gas link pipeline got some celebrity support today. Hollywood actor and activist Mark Ruffalo is supporting their campaign and demanding big banks stop funding pipeline construction. But as Ted Chernecki reports, the contentious project also has its supporters. He is perhaps best known as the new Incredible Hulk. But Mark Ruffalo's acting portfolio includes many other environmental themes. Isn't that right? Yes. And now the coastal gasling project in BC is in his sights. It's up to us. We are the ones that we've been waiting for. And that's why we're doing this action. And that's why celebrities are taking part. Because it's our money that's being used to do this shit. He and 64 other celebrities have signed a letter to the Royal Bank of Canada and its subsidiary, City National Bank of California, to stop financing fossil fuel projects or they'll move their multi-million dollar accounts elsewhere. None of this matters. If our children can't drink the water, they can't breathe the air, they can't go outside, the world burns around them. None of this means anything anymore. And we're all becoming a nerd to it. We're all, it's, we're becoming desensitized to this insanity that we're living in. No More Dirty Banks is a group involving hereditary chiefs of BC, environmental lawyers, and CGL frontline activists. The investors in this project will never see the fruition of this project happen. They will never see the benefits. Much of the steel for both the Trans Mountain Pipeline and CGL is coming from Everaz, a company with mills in Saskatchewan and Alberta, stopping the pipelines could impact a thousand jobs. Typically, in terms of coastal gas link and Trans Mountain Pipeline, for that matter, uh, much of the steel was sourced from a company called Evraz that 
shareholder of that company. Uh, the right primary shareholder is Roman Abramovich. There are two other of the so-called Putin list who are in leadership and large ownership positions of Evraz. So unfortunately, that is true. Hollywood wants to hit where it hurts, investors' pocketbooks. But the premier says it's never that simple. I, I'm always a bit disappointed when celebrities uh, stop doing their trade and start giving out practical advice to people. They, they're absolutely entitled to do that. But um, I take it as someone who lives somewhere else having a comment about what we're doing in B.C. We reached out to RBC numerous times but did not receive a response by deadline. Ted Chernecki, Global News. BC Hydro is marking a major milestone on the Site C transmission line. The utility company says the second and final 75-kilometer transmission line has been completed and energized. This means the Site C substation is now connected to the BC Hydro grid. Once the project is up and running, the 500-kilovolt transmission line will be able to deliver energy to the rest of the province. The project's first 75-kilometer transmission line was completed and energized in the fall of 2020. Nearly five years after the destructive floods of 2017, an effort to make the Okanagan more resilient is starting to take shape. The city of Vernon recently completed floodplain maps. Global's Megan Turcato has more on the changes coming to minimize loss. Well, I wasn't happy with it, but I, I kind of knew that it, uh, it could be like that, being so close to the lake. Vernon resident James Dyson says he wasn't surprised to get a notice recently advising him his property is in a flood-prone area. The warning comes after the city and Okanagan Basin Water Board completed flood mapping showing elevated flood risk around the shore of Okanagan Lake and along creeks through the community. What we looked at was the flood of 2017, which is the biggest flood in living memory. That flood, it was considered a one in 500 year event, but with climate change, it will happen more and more frequently. Vernon is trying to use the maps to prepare. And we could see clearly where our culverts and our bridges were causing constriction and increasing the impact of potential for flood. The municipality is also considering regulating new development in floodplains. A key part of the new rules would likely be regulation on how high above sea level new buildings need to be built. We're looking at this seriously now because we see the climate is changing. All the modeling shows that we'll get more high water events. The Water Board says ideally all Okanagan communities will pass this type of flooding development regulation. It's a responsible thing to do to come up with We apologize for that technical error. In other news tonight, COVID restrictions are easing in many provinces, but vaccines still aren't approved for children under the age of five. Kids typically fare well when infected with the virus, but as Global's Jamie Morocco reports, a quarter of young children who catch COVID end up dealing with a very different reality. From a summer full of exciting outdoor activities to a school year stuck indoors, Matthew Kirkpatrick's life has been completely upended by COVID-19. We went for a family bike ride. That's when we knew something was terribly wrong. He stopped uh, midway through. He couldn't catch his breath and complained of this uh, horrible chest pain. Nancy Kirkpatrick booked an appointment with her family physician. But before they would get in, the 10-year-old collapsed while walking home from school. There was this alleyway near my house, and I passed out. And 
Then I just woke up. He had two more severe blackouts. One was at school where he just fell out of his desk. A cardiologist told the Edmonton family COVID-19 caused tachycardia, a condition where the heartbeat races to more than 100 beats per minute. A new large-scale preprint study that looked at more than 80,000 children with COVID found while cardiorespiratory post-COVID symptoms were a rare side effect, one in four kids who had the virus developed some form of long COVID. The most common symptoms that we're seeing were mood symptoms, sleep disturbances, and fatigue. And these can be sort of um, really common symptoms after anybody recovers from a viral illness. But it is concerning that we saw those symptoms continue for at least a month after somebody had COVID. Experts say treatments are limited and depend on symptoms. Data and studies on long COVID are still in their infancy. Prevention, vaccines, is the best chance to avoid it. Matthew wasn't eligible for a shot when he caught COVID. It was that age group that wasn't. And you know, I regret to this day. putting him in school until he was vaccinated. An impossible situation thousands of families still face. And as the world reopens, it's a risk they'll continue to endure until a vaccine is approved for Canada's youngest cohort. Jamie Marocker, Global News, Toronto. What a local First Nation is saying about helping two people lost in the woods. That story coming up. But first, the proposal for a Victoria spa you could literally float away on. And you'll never know what you'll bump into on a zip line in Costa Rica when fast meets slow. Next. consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. And Rua investigates consumer matters on Global News. You're watching Global News Hour at 6. Oh, what do I do about the sloth? Don't, don't worry, don't worry. Oh, a child on a zip line through a Costa Rican rainforest collided with an unexpected obstruction. A sloth. The family didn't expect a sloth or any animal to be on the cable as the child was the last of eight people to use the zip line. Thankfully, the sloth was not injured, nor was the child. The incident, of course, highlights conflicts that can arise when people venture into the wilderness. And Yvonne, um, my concern was for the sloth because yes. zip liners go pretty fast. Yeah, and he's very slow. They all had to wait, yeah. I think, until he sort of made his way. <laughs> At least no one's hurt, but it was a great video to capture as well. Uh, Good evening, everyone. Thanks, Colleen. Uh, We had a bit of a break in between systems. We've got drier conditions, but then the next weather maker is on deck and we'll be tracking some rainfall. It's been a soggy start to spring break so far, but I'll outline what that we'll be seeing, especially leading in towards the weekend. We're sitting at 10 degrees underneath a mainly cloudy sky. Temperatures, uh, or the winds rather, southeasterly up to 13 kilometers per hour. A few isolated showers possible for all areas along the south coast, but this is the next weather maker 
that is going to bring in that moisture. And the timeline will be overnight and for the day tomorrow. So a heads up, early morning hours, we are looking at periods of rain. And temperatures tomorrow touch cooler with highs just up to 7 degrees. Should start to taper off to showers late tomorrow evening. But then we've got another weather maker that is going to move in. So first off, that's what we're anticipating for the morning hours through the day. It'll be rainfall heavy at times. And then a look ahead towards Friday. Through the day, it looks like it'll be a bit of a break in between systems, but by the evening hours and looking ahead towards our Saturday, we are looking at more rain that'll be on the way and heavier at times. For tomorrow, we're looking at anywhere between 15 and up to 25 millimeters. Now, along the north coast, a wet one, temperatures will be up to 7 degrees, heavier rainfall on Friday, much of the central interior with on and off showers. Southern interior, a bit of a blip. We could see even a chance for some flurries changing over to showers. And then temperatures, even for the Thompson Okanagan, seeing highs up to 8 degrees. Along the south coast, it'll be a soggy one for us with that rainfall 15 and up to 25 millimetres. Temperatures tomorrow, seven areas into the Fraser Valley, bumping up to nine degrees. So for our St. Patrick's Day, be prepared for some wet weather, a bit of a break in between systems on Friday. And then Saturday morning, it'll be a wet one, but should start to taper off. First day of spring so far, still a few days out, but it's going to be unsettled with some on and off showers and temperatures up to nine degrees. All right, tonight's weather window, a gorgeous shot that was captured in Penticton Mm. from Maryland. Colleen? Gorgeous. Thanks so much, Yvonne. Relaxing, tranquil, may not describe Victoria's busy inner harbor, but a new venture is hoping to change that. A floating Nordic spa has been proposed for the area near Ship Point. As Kylie Stanton reports, if approved, it would be the first of its kind in the province. From the end of this uh, dock, pretty much down to that electrical box down there. It's probably the most coveted piece of waterfront property in the city. The only problem, it's basically a parking lot. This spot on this particular part of the wharf has always been very transient. But a new idea being floated could soon change all that. Small barge. Sounds like a fun way to enjoy the afternoon. Haven Experiences is hoping to build a floating sauna barge at Ship Point in Victoria's Inner Harbour. The proposed space, roughly the size of a small ship, will include four saunas, both hot and freshwater cold pools, along with indoor and outdoor spaces to relax, socialize and host events. And it's going to be something that... uh a lot of people see the value in as a place that people can come and just enjoy the waterfront and connect with the harbour in a more meaningful way. The original plan was to also have patrons swimming in the harbour itself, but it was deemed too dangerous among float planes and vessel traffic. And so instead, they'll be bringing the ocean on board. It's going to be filtered, and the idea is that when you come out of a sauna, you can get in the salt pool, you're looking right at the harbour, you can get the sensation that you're interacting with the ocean. The idea has been hugely successful elsewhere. Helsinki, Oslo, even Montreal has a similar setup, driving tourism year-round. This is quite interesting. Um, It looks pretty cool. Um, I think there should be a market for it, and uh, hopefully it adds to the vibrancy of the waterfront. Unlike some other barges we know, there's never been much love for the English Bay Barge. It's ugly. (laughs) And of course... There's Mick Barge. It had its heyday 35 years ago, but has been sitting idle ever since. It's going to be long and narrow. And while not everyone may be on board with this idea, like, ooh, (laughs) it's human underwear soup. There will be public consultation. And if the city of Victoria approves the zoning, the project is expected to be up and running this time next year. Kylie Stanton, Global News, Victoria.
Oh, delightful. Uh, Squire joins us now. Uh, Squire, have you ever been to a spa? Um, I've dropped somebody off at a spa. <laughs> I had a feeling that was going to be your answer. Oh, no. I did go once, and I looked at my phone the whole time, and the person who took me was very angry at me that I spent the whole time looking at my phone and not relaxing. Oh, Squire. That was relaxing. I was reading some articles. <laughs> okay. 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 All right. What do you got coming up? Here's something that does not relax Canuck fans. The thought of Yaroslav Halak starting another game with the whole playoff situation being as close as it is right now. But sooner or later, Bruce Boudreau may have to put him in. If we want to get in and we want to make any noise, we're going to need Yaro to, to, to play. But when will he play? That's the question. Hmm. All right. And still to come, why a mom and her son have members of a local First Nation to thank for their rescue. Consumers having issues with scammers, price gougers, corner cutters, con artists, or big business bullies. Help is here. Andrewa investigates consumer matters on Global News. Don't mess with Drewa. No. Or Squire for that matter. Well, yeah, no, not so much. I would rather have her on my side than me on your side. Likely. There you go. <laughs> Uh, after a big win over New Jersey last night, one that moves the Canucks to within one point of a wildcard playoff spot, Vancouver got even more good news today when Elias Pettersson was back at practice this morning after missing the last two games with an upper body injury. Now, does this mean he'll be able to play tomorrow night against Detroit? Bruce Boudreaux is not too sure. Still day-to-day. Like, I mean, uh, he's probably uh, better suited for the weekend, but uh, we wanted to get him on the ice to see how it was. What did you see from today? I know you chatted with him afterwards. Were you just checking in on? Yeah, I was just checking in. Yeah. There was nothing special. Like I mean, just as he said, he was feeling better. Now, there was a long time ago, or it wasn't a long time ago, I should say, when star goalies would play a lot of games in the NHL. Martin Brodeur would often play 70 games or more per season, and that's not including the playoffs. But nowadays, teams want to avoid overplaying their goaltender. And when it comes to a team trying to get back into the playoffs, like the Vancouver Canucks, the temptation to keep Thatcher Demko in goal more than usual is huge. But you still have to build in some downtime for him. So when the Canucks practiced on Wednesday, Thatcher Demko wasn't there. He was given the day off, which in the past he probably wouldn't have liked, but he did appreciate the break this time. So, like, today was a total day off. Usually a lot of times he's not doing a lot, but he'll go out for the half an hour early and get his work done. But uh, um, it's, a, it's a delicate, uh, you know, thing. Like, I mean, to balance his work ethic versus the time off for rest type thing. But will Demko only get practices off? The Canucks have three more games this week. Will Bruce Boudreaux play him in all three? You're tempted. You just never know. I mean, we take it a day at a time. Let's, uh, if we can, you know, if we're successful, we'll see how it works on, on, 
you know, we'll get two back-to-backs in the next week. So it's, uh, we, we got to figure out a plan here. This wouldn't be as big a problem if these frightening images of recent Yaroslav Halak starts didn't still haunt the Canucks' decision-making. But they want to get Halak back in the game eventually. As a matter of fact, Ian was talking today about how well that uh, um, Yarrow's been practicing. And listen, believe me, as a coach, I, I want to play him. I just think you got to go with the hot hand at the, at the present time. But if we want to get in and we want to make any noise, we're going to need Yarrow to, to, to play and to, to play well. The Calgary Flames have acquired forward Callie Yarncroke from Seattle for three draft picks. A second rounder, a third rounder, and a seventh rounder. He has 26 points so far this year for the Kraken. He's a veteran. He's a good veteran. Good depth guy, especially for the playoffs. And speaking of trades... The Blue Jays have improved their defense by acquiring gold glove third baseman Matt Chapman from Oakland in a trade for four prospects. Chapman has won three gold gloves at third. He was an all-star in 2019 as well. Offensively, he hit 27 home runs last season, but he's in Toronto now more for his glove than his bat. The Denver Broncos finally got to show everyone their big off-season prize. Russell Wilson held his first press conference as a Bronco. He said all the right things. He wants to win Super Bowls in Denver. He wants to play for a long time. And... There was no disrespecting the Seahawks, but you clearly got the sense he's glad he's no longer playing for Seattle. This is a winning football team. You know, if I was going to wave my no trade closet, you know, it had to be to a winning football team. And these guys are winners back here. And so I'm excited about it. It's a winning locker room. So it's about the players. You know, it's about the players. And it's about, obviously, a great coaching staff and the organization. I've said a million times to you guys, I had no intention of, of moving on with, with the quarterback. I, I loved Russ and, and loved him in the program. And that's the way I was I was committed to doing it and I felt that way all the way throughout and then the opportunity became available where okay there's a business opportunity here we, we can see it uh, and we're surprised at how, how good a deal came to us and, and, and how that was all you know Johnny facilitated that with the work of their people and, and made it happen. Still going to seem weird to see Russell Wilson in a Broncos uniform and not a Seahawks uniform. Okay the Canadian women's soccer team still has that Golden Glow after winning the Olympics and they'll be in BC for a pair of games next month April 8th at BC Place Stadium April 11th at Starlight Stadium in Langford both games are against Nigeria and for the head coach these games are not just some sort of victory lap from that Olympic win you know we're off we're off on this new journey and for me as a coach I wanted to make sure that we don't stand still we can't just stand at the top of the mountain and look down and then other people are climbing so you know it's it's a difficult one as a coach you know you you want to celebrate the moment you want to connect with your fans but we've got to get the mindset right of the group to to also feel like we're pushing forward and demanding more so I actually think it's the best thing to be on the road again and and to be climbing um, and and I'm excited for to, to be here in Vancouver. And we're glad you're going to be coming. There you go. Thank you so much, Squire. A mother and child rescued in the wild by those who know it well when we come back. A boy and his mother have a good story to tell today after becoming lost in the wilderness near the Chehalis River. They spent the night cold, wet and injured, then became separated. Had it not been for members of the Chehalis First Nation, this story could have had a very different ending. It seems to go against the current of common sense, but all that mattered in this moment was saving a young boy. 
I got the call from my cousins that they had located the boy. And James Leon didn't hesitate to jump into action. As I approached, my cousins were parked on the gravel bar just upriver from us here, and the young fellow was on the opposite side of the river. It began Saturday afternoon on Staelis Nation land. I seen this something walking down, down the trail here. A woman appearing seemingly out of nowhere, crying about her missing son. She was absolutely terrified. First of all, because her son is missing. The two got lost Friday. They camped out overnight in the rain without shelter. The following morning, the son left to try and find help for his ailing mother. But he was now missing. I dropped everything, went and got ready, got my quad. Jumping onto their ATVs, searching for the 11-year-old boy. It was a bit worrying that we would find him in the water. Finally, James Leon and his cousins spotted him across the river. The current was fairly strong and moving at the time. Leon battled the icy current to reach the boy. He was soaked from head to toe. He was shivering. He had his shoes off. Then slinging him over his shoulder, struggled back across the river. Adrenaline kicks in and just knew we had to get him to safety. He had to go back one more time to rescue the young boy's dog. The family eventually reunited. It was just a good feeling. The mom just burst into tears. It almost made me cry because she was crying. Both are now safe. James Leon being hailed a hero. We were all ecstatic at the fact that he was on land and safe. And of course, that's what you'd expect any hero to say. Kamal Karamali, Global News. Hero's the word that came to my mind when I was watching that. Exactly. Unreal. Good for them. How fabulous. Uh, one last look at the weather, Yvonne. A soggy one for our St. Patrick's Day. Uh, most of the heavier rain picks up overnight, and we'll see it through the day, 15 and up to 25 millimeters, so get out your wellies and your umbrellas. A uh, bit of a break in between systems maybe on Friday, and then it picks up once again. We'll likely see some heavier rain on Saturday morning so far, and then we're looking ahead towards spring. First day of spring will be on Sunday. I was going to say, it's nice. There's no rain coming down <laughs> on that first day of spring. <laughs> Yay. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you tomorrow.